So today we're getting back to our passage in Acts. We are now about to conclude Paul's second missionary journey. And this journey has taken him probably somewhere between the, the vicinity of two to three years to complete. And he's traveled about 2,500 miles in this journey, which is roughly, just to give you an idea, uh, roughly the distance between here and Florida. So this is, this is quite a journey for Paul and his companions. But their journey is not quite yet over. As of verse 11 in chapter 18, where we left off last week, Paul still has a, about a third of that journey to make. Um, and so today, Luke is going to zip us through that final leg of the journey in about five verses. That's, that's all he has to say about it. Apparently not much interesting happened on the way home. Uh, but as I said, we're not there yet. Paul is still in Corinth, uh, having been assured by God in a vision that no one was going to attack and harm him in this city as they they had done many times before. Um, however, even though God had promised Paul that he would be safe, God never promised that he'd be free from opposition. And opposition is exactly what we see in the rest of our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 18. But before we begin, we'll pause here for a word of prayer. Yeah, God, we thank you so much again for this opportunity to gather here together. Uh, we thank you for the, the time of worship that we can have already this morning as we sing your praises, as we read your word and, and uh, come to you in prayer. Well, we thank you that we have the, the freedom to do that. Uh, and we thank you that uh, we have this family to do that with. We pray that you would be blessed by all, the, all of our worship here today and that we'd be encouraged and, and spurred on in our walk with you and, and that we'd receive some encouragement or maybe even some rebu rebuke from your word today uh, but I just pray that as uh, you speak to us, that we would be receptive to what you have to say. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 12 today. It says, But when Galeo became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. So as we've seen many times before, in fact, in most cities where Paul has gone, uh, it's not long before the Jews are plotting together to either silence or, or outright kill Paul. Uh, these Jews had refused to believe his message, and they were quite upset that other Jews had believed him. Uh, and so as these verses tell us, they, they rose together and they brought him before the, the new governor of Achaia. Now, Achaia is the, the Roman province in which Corinth was located. Uh, and so Galeo wasn't just a, you know, a local city official. He was actually a, a guy with some pretty significant authority. This was a, a pretty big deal. This was much more significant than the other times that Paul had been brought before just the, you know, the many city authorities that he had appeared before. Uh, this, was, this was more significant. In fact, uh, Galeo's ruling here could actually have far-reaching implications for the future church or for the future of the church. I uh, see, if the Jews could get Galileo to rule against Paul, chances are the other governors in the other provinces would follow suit. There'd be a precedent set there. Um, and, and potentially, Paul could be barred from preaching the gospel anywhere in the Roman Empire. So this is fairly significant. In fact, not only that, if Galileo denounced the teaching of Christianity, well, then Christians everywhere could be subject to persecution by the Romans, something that up till this point hadn't really been an issue. See, up to this point, the Romans kind of considered Christianity just to be a, a slight variation of Judaism. And, and Judaism was, uh, it was legally allowable on, in the Roman Empire, uh, even though most Jews kind of had a, a dimmer view of Jews. But nonetheless, Jews were allowed to practice their religion, and, and Christianity was generally considered just to be you know, a, a part of that. Um, and so what these Jews wanted to do here is they wanted to present to Galileo that Paul's religion was something very different. 
something that was not uh, of Judaism, something that was against the laws of the Roman Empire and should be declared illegal. Uh, it wasn't in the, the interest of the Roman Empire for these Christians to be uh, doing their thing. And, and so they accuse Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. And so this was a pretty significant moment for the church. You know, would Christianity be declared uh, an illegal practice and, and Paul be branded a criminal? Or would Galileo rule in Paul's favor? Well, let's read on to find out. So after the Jews make their accusation against Paul, Paul prepares to defend his case. Verse 14 says, But just as Paul started to make his defense, Galileo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names in your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. And I don't think anybody saw this coming. I don't think Paul saw this. I don't think, certainly not the Jews saw this coming. Uh, Galileo's judgment was, was quick, clear, and concise. As the provincial governor, he was not interested in, in settling what he considered to be just arguments over uh, religious semantics, right? Uh, he rightly affirmed that the government's role was to deal with issues of justice, not to settle arguments about religion. And so he threw out the case. And in doing so, he, he effectively granted Christianity the, the same status as Judaism, which was actually pretty amazing. Uh, Paul's accusers had kind of hoped that Galileo would, would outlaw Christianity and keep it from spreading throughout the Roman Empire. But instead, it, it kind of gave Paul and, and the rest of the church just official a Roman approval to continue spreading the gospel message. Now, of course, this just has God's fingerprints all over it. I mean, what Satan intended for evil, God completely turned around and used for good. And Paul didn't even have to do a thing. I love how in verse 14, Paul starts to make his defense, but he doesn't even get a chance, right? Galileo interrupts him because he's already made his decision. Paul just gets to stand there and just watch God at work. Now, I'm pretty sure that Galileo was not a Christian, right? He didn't make this decision out of his love for God or for the church or anything like that. But God was certainly involved in this decision nonetheless. Uh, it's like uh, Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. You know, God can influence the, the minds and the hearts of, of anyone he wants in order to accomplish his will. And, and it's that's such an encouragement to us, you know, in many areas of our lives. I mean, in the, in the realms of government, you know, what a comfort it is to know that God is still in control of our governments and the other authorities over us. You know, even though they often make poor or, or ungodly choices, they're never beyond the reach of God. You know, at the drop of a hat, God could cause them just to do a complete turnabout face on any issue at any time, right? Their hearts are like streams of water in the hand of God, and he can just direct it however he wants. And this is true not only for our, our national and our, our provincial leaders, uh, but also for our bosses at work uh, and for our, our neighbors and for our co-workers. In fact, God also directs the hearts of our children. He directs the hearts of our parents, right? In fact, God's even actively at work guiding our hearts as well. God is always at work arranging the, the circumstances of our life, the conversations that we have, moving in our hearts and minds so that his will will be done. And that was certainly the case for, uh, for uh, the situation here with Galileo. And actually, we see it again in the very next verse as well. So in response to Galileo throwing out this case, uh, it says in verse 17, the crowd then grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Galileo paid no attention. 
Now, this might strike you as a kind of an odd verse to point out how God is at work in people's lives, uh, but it really is. Now, of course, the, the main point of this verse here is to see that Galileo has completely stopped listening to these Jews. He's, he's had enough of their drama. And so even when they start beating on this guy, Sosthenes, you know, Galileo just ignores them completely. Now, the strange part about this verse is that we're not really told why this guy is getting beat up. And so we kind of have to connect the dots a little bit ourselves. Uh, you'll notice that Sosthenes is named as the leader of the synagogue. Now, earlier on in this chapter, uh, we read about Crispus, who was also named as the leader of the synagogue, but he became a believer, you recall. And so basically what happened here, likely, is that when uh, Crispus became a believer, they kicked him out of the synagogue, and Sosthenes became the new leader of the synagogue. And so, as the leader of the synagogue, it was likely Sosthenes who actually put together the case against Paul to present to Galileo. Uh, however, since Galileo had simply thrown out their case, uh, and in doing so had helped Paul more than hurt him, uh, the Jews just kind of vented their rage back on Sosthenes, who obviously had bungled their presentation. And so where, you might ask, is the evidence of God's goodwill being done in the life of a poor Sosthenes? Well, the answer actually isn't in the book of Acts. It's actually in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, Paul wrote this letter uh, several years later while he was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. But look how he begins this letter. He says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes. Now, isn't that cool? Now, we're never told exactly how this all happened, but, but somehow, perhaps even as a direct result of these events in Acts that we just read about, Sosthenes gave his life to Christ and became a partner with Paul in spreading the gospel message around the world. I mean, how incredible is that? Clearly, God was at work in this man's life, directing his, his heart like a stream of water, right? It just goes to show that God can change anybody at any time. Even our most fierce opponents can become our closest allies. Uh, and God is still in the business of changing lives, right? He's still changing opponents into allies and, and sinners into saints. And he's making miracles out of messes, you know, just like he did back in the city of Corinth. You know, what a, a wonderful encouragement to us today. God is still at work. Well, with Galileo throwing out the case against Paul, Paul once again, and, and perhaps more than ever, was free to preach the gospel. And so he did so in Corinth for quite some time. Uh, but before too long, Paul was ready to move on. We read now in verse 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to the nearby Centuria. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he sailed for Assyria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing. Then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was at the port of Caesarea. From there he went up and visited the church at Jerusalem and then went back to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Phrygia, visiting and strengthening all the believers. And thus concludes Paul's second missionary journey. Now, there's a couple points in these verses that we could talk about. For example, we could talk about this, this vow that Paul made uh, that led him to shave his head in this one place. Uh, we could talk about whether it was right of him or wrong of him to, to make this vow. Uh, we could talk about the fact that Priscilla 
is named here before Aquila, something that's very odd in the, the writings in the culture of this time, because uh, the, the husband is always named before the wife. Um, but these questions aren't really central to our passage today, so I'm actually going to leave those questions with you to, to dig into on your own leisure. But, and if you want to have a conversation with me, I'm, I'm welcome to do that. I'm not just trying to skirt the issue. But for the sake of the message today, we're going to keep going here. Uh, I do want to mention, though, that Priscilla and Aquila did stay behind in Ephesus. Uh, that kind of plays into the next few verses, which read like this in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. So here we're introduced to this fellow named Apollos, and we're told that he's an eloquent speaker, well-versed in the scriptures, and he taught about Jesus with enthusiasm and with accuracy. It kind of sounds like the, the kind of preacher or, or traveling evangelist that you'd want to, to listen to. And actually, the, the wording in the Greek is actually even stronger than kind of what we get out of the English here. Uh, the, in the Greek, it kind of says that he's, he was mighty in the scriptures. And, and the word they use for mighty is, is uh, what's the word? Dynatos. And that's where we get the word dynamite in English a little later on. Uh, and so what Luke is saying here is that Apollos taught the word of God with incredible power. He was, he was a dynamite preacher, is, is how you could put it, right? Unfortunately, there was a, a slight problem with his message. If you keep reading verse 25, it says, However, he knew only about John's baptism. Now, that's kind of a, a curious phrase. What exactly does that mean? We're told already that he was taught the way of the Lord, but he only knows about the baptism of John. You know, exactly what does he mean, or what does he know then about the way of the Lord? Well, at this point, it might be helpful for us actually to jump ahead into the next chapter because Paul deals with this exact same issue just a little bit later on here. So we're just going to, we'll come back to Apollos, but let's jump ahead to chapter 19 uh, as Paul begins his third missionary journey. We'll talk about that more next week, but uh, Acts chapter 19 verse 1 says this, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. All right, so we've got these, these guys here in Ephesus. Uh, this is a little bit later down the timeline. Uh, but they were in the same boat as Apollos, and, and perhaps they were even taught by Apollos at, at some earlier time. We're not really given that information. But nonetheless, they too only knew about the baptism of John. Uh, you'll recall that when, when John was going around baptizing, he had his own set of disciples, and it's quite possible that these disciples left Jerusalem uh, before all the events of, of Jesus and his, his death and resurrection, and then they went on and they continued sharing John's message of, of calling people to repentance and to turn to God and to trust in the Messiah who would soon come. Um, 
And, and so these folks in Ephesus had heard that message, and they believed that message. Uh, and perhaps even they had heard a little bit about, about Jesus and, and the miracles that he did. But it seems quite clear that they didn't yet know about Jesus' death and his resurrection, uh, about his ascension into heaven and, and sending the Holy Spirit to, to indwell every believer. Uh, he didn't know that Jesus' death and resurrection provided the way for them to be forgiven and to have eternal life. Um, and so, uh, Paul doesn't include all the details, this is just a, a quick summary, but Paul goes through and he explains all that Christ had done and, and what that me meant for them. And of course, as he explained them, they readily believed and, and accepted the message of God, they were, they were baptized, and they received the Holy Spirit. And this baptism that they received now, you'll remember that they had received John's baptism, but this baptism that they received now uh, was not just a, a baptism of repentance like what they had done earlier, but this was now a, a baptism of identification. Uh, they were dipped under the water and brought up again, signifying their, their union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And, and this is why we teach uh, about a believer's baptism is what we call it here. Um, that is, if you're a believer, you, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he, he he died and he rose again so that you can have forgiveness of sins, uh, then the Bible tells us that you are to be baptized following that. Peter declared in, in Acts 2.38, uh, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So even if you had been baptized earlier as, a, as an infant, or in the case of these guys in Ephesus, baptized without really knowing who Jesus was or, or what Jesus had done for you, then we would encourage you to be baptized again, signifying that you have made that personal choice to identify with Christ, sharing in his death and resurrection. And, and of course, this is just what those guys in Ephesus did. Ephesus did. Uh, even though they had earlier been baptized uh, as a sign of their repentance, now they were baptized again as a sign of their, their identification and belief in Christ. So now, getting back to Apollos, he too had only heard about the baptism of John. And so uh, in this case, we do know that he did know at least some things about Jesus. Uh, he may have known that Jesus was the Messiah. After all, uh, John had pointed out to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's clear that Apollos didn't know the rest of the story. He didn't know about Jesus' death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and he didn't know about the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, even though Paul wasn't there to explain things to him, Priscilla and Aquila were. Uh, verse 26 says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Now, there's two little cool things to note in here. First of all, notice how Priscilla and Aquila took Paulo, Apollos aside and, and they explained things to him privately. They didn't blast him publicly for, for preaching an incomplete message. They didn't reject him as a false teacher or criticize him for his, his lack of knowledge. But instead, they gently took him aside and, and they simply explained the rest of the story to him. And I think that's, that's pretty commendable of them. You know, too often, uh, I think we're, we're quick to condemn and criticize. And yes, we, we do need to carefully evaluate what we're being taught by, by pastors and, and other teachers, you know, like the Bereans who, who all constantly went back to the word of God to see if what Paul was saying was true. We need to do that. But if there's, if there's an error or some, some key missing information, I don't know that our, our first response needs to be to, to criticize and condemn. But rather, we should approach uh, privately, gently, and, and explain the, the, the truth of the scriptures to whoever is uh, making that mistake. 
Now, of course, if they still refuse to believe the truth after that, well, that kind of becomes a different story. But let's make sure that our first step isn't to criticize and condemn, but to come alongside and help, to help them to understand the truth. Uh, and that actually leads to the second cool thing in these little verses, and that is that Apollos actually listened to them. Right? Even though he was this, this dynamite preacher, right? eloquent, speaking with great power, he listened to these, you know, these blue-collar tent makers who more fully explained the way of the Lord to him. Uh, he, he wasn't too proud to admit that you know, he didn't know it all. He was still teachable, which I think is very commendable for him as well. No, he graciously received their instruction, and he was so much better for it. Actually, the next verses say, uh, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, what a, what a powerhouse for God this guy was. Now that, now that Apollos had kind of the, the full message of the gospel, he became a, an even greater an ambassador for the kingdom of God. He was able to, to refute the Jews with powerful arguments in public debates so that many would come to know and believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. No, the, the wise and gentle approach of, of Priscilla and Aquila, combined with the, the humble, teachable spirit of Apollos, led to just a, a fantastic and powerful ministry that would lead many people to come to know and love Christ. And I think that's maybe a, a good lesson for us to, to take, and maybe that'll be our, our ending point for today. You know, I think sometimes we find ourselves, you know, sometimes in the position of Aquila and Priscilla, and, and we need to humbly and gently present the truth to somebody. You know, maybe it's to correct our children, or perhaps uh, just to share the gospel with a, a coworker who, who maybe has some, some really strange ideas about God. Uh, maybe it's to point out an issue of sin with a, a fellow believer. Maybe it's even when we talk through hard things with our spouse. You know, there are times when we need to speak the truth in love. But we need to be careful that we don't come across as you know, condemning or in a spirit of, of pride or self-righteousness or anything like that. But instead, we need to practice humility and gentleness and grace. And then on the other side of things, you know, sometimes we might be in the position of Apollos, and we need to humbly and graciously accept that correction from somebody else. You know, maybe you're the kid being corrected by your parents, or maybe you're the one who's made the mistake, or maybe you're the one with the wrong beliefs. You have the humility to, to graciously accept correction from somebody else. Are, are you humble enough to admit that maybe you don't know it all? Maybe you've been wrong. You know, and that's hard to do. I know. I mean, nobody likes being told that they're wrong. You know, our, our sinful pride just fights against that constantly. But God calls us to be humble. 1 Peter 5.5 5 tells us, And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You know, and this verse applies to us no matter what side of the situation we're on, whether we're the ones who, who need to correct someone or if we're the ones being corrected. Both of those things require such a great deal of humility. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty power of God, clothing ourselves with humility as we relate to one another. And when we do that, at the right time, God will lift us up in honor. Well, that's a, quite a bit to chew on for today. So let's pray, and then I'll send you off into your week. Dear God, we thank you for 
perhaps this bit of correction in our lives. God, we know that we're all pretty susceptible to this pride business, and I pray that whether we're in a situation where we need to bring correction to someone or whether we need to receive correction from someone, God, may we be humble enough to do that with with grace and humility, God. Uh, We thank you for the example that you set for us, how, how Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the Father, even to the point of dying on a cross. God, may we follow in his footsteps the best that we can. May we humble ourselves as we relate to one another, because we recognize that we are. We are all sinners desperately in need of your forgiveness and grace. So God, may we extend that forgiveness and grace to the people around us. May we build each other up, not tear each other down, uh, for the good of your kingdom and for your glory. God, I pray that you would continue working in our hearts, bring these truths to our mind as we go through this week. I'm sure there will be opportunity for us to to practice humility. So I pray that we would remember these verses uh, and these lessons as we go through our week today, uh, or this week. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.